when I don't call myself black, I even other people, it's like, oh, they kind of step back. It's like, hmm, yeah, I'm actually indigenous for this, this, and that. Or I'm actually Choctaw, Native American. Or I'm actually, um, even the word African-American is, 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 is a pretend word. Um, I'm actually Sudanese. I'm actually Cherokee. I'm actually Irish. You know, I'm actually these mixtures of things instead of, you know, which were actual nationalities. A nationality is tied to a nation. Nations have laws. There is no such thing as a black flag because it's not a nation. There is no such thing as a white flag unless you're surrendering. Hello, Culture Keepers. This is Deborah Ashe with You Are a Culture Keeper podcast. So we all have that friend who one week is learning how to fire dance and then they're pursuing a career in voiceover before they change their mind to becoming a singing telegram waiter the month later. Well, our guest today is truly magical. They are the opposite. Everything they touch becomes successful. Dejan DeWitt is a signed model and enjoys this as a format to express androgyny. Dejan is also a singer, song crafter of conscious dance music, and they're a true business mogul. Educated in law and the foreign exchange market and now how it relates to energy. They're a former permaculture teacher, vegan chef who was just picked up by DoorDash, with a focus on spirit and sovereignty, they founded the Sovereign Heart School in Sacramento, California. We really unpack identity today, starting with financial, spiritual, heritage, gender. We begin with changing our money mindset, talking about Jen Sincero's book, You Are a Badass at Making Money, The Power of Our Words to Raise Our Abundance. We go deep today. I know I say that every week, but it is true. Definitely stay tuned for the part about unpacking identity and how labeling ourselves and our own communities as either black or white limits our ability to learn more about our bloodlines, like my heritage that includes Druids and Celtic indigenous healers. And also, what's your family immigration story? Because we all have one, unless we're native to North America. Oh, and there's the part about how cultures around the world revere multi-gendered individuals as shamans and medicine people. So much goodness. Hi, Dejan. What's going on, Deborah? How are you today? I'm doing lovely. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome here. So um, I've been playing with this energy of gratitude around an abundance around money and finances and really trying to <laughs> shift my money mindset. And I've been listening to the audible of um, you are a badass at making money. She had us do this exercise, writing a letter to money. 
So I was like, dear money, I'm sorry that I pretend you don't exist sometimes. I don't know why I ignore you. I like having you in my life. It was just interesting what came out of that. And one of the things that she says to do is to have gratitude, you know, when when we're given gifts. So it just reminded me of that in relation to money as well. Oh, yeah. To piggyback off what you said, uh, absolutely. Gratitude is, you know, it's the magnitude of what makes you magnetic to everything. Really. You know, everything wants to be appreciated, even, even in, inanimate objects want to be appreciated, right? Have you ever noticed people who talk bad about uh, money or talk bad about themselves? Whatever that subject is, usually deteriorates to them. Their finances deteriorate, their health deteriorates, their weight deteriorates, et cetera, et cetera. It's because our words have so much power. Our words are literally, our words are bond, you know, and we can be bonded to abundance and we can be bonded to uh, lack and scarcity. Mm -hmm. There is no good or bad, it's just whatever you choose, whether it's uh, subconsciously, we're always making a choice, subconsciously or consciously. And I, I think it's beautiful that you are consciously making a decision mm. to uh, bond with gratitude. Um, another thing about finances is I, I notice uh, with my studies and with my own practice, a lot of it's linked to my your, your root chakra. A lot of it's linked to that that area, that center of survival. The root so, chakra, you said. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And uh, a lot of us, you know, have had that. We don't really know what we're doing when it comes to that type of stuff. We don't really know what we're doing when it comes to currency, and you know, mm -hmm. currency has to circulate. Our whole attitude and education has been, you know, pretty much to our detriment, and it's designed that way, unfortunately. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, we can talk about anything here. So, you know, you can go into that conversation if you want to. Um, it's really cool, though, that you mentioned that money is related to the root chakra. What immediately came to mind is the book Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Miss, M-Y-S-S. Actually, it's Carolyn Mace is how it's pronounced but her last name is spelled M-Y-S-S -S, and it's a, it was a bestseller. And um, what she says, she goes through all of the chakras and she relates it to how these different chakras are represented in our lives. And she talks about the root chakra first, of course. And she talks about how the root chakra is related to tribe. And our original tribe is usually our family of origin, right? And so it just makes sense what you're saying about money, because what we learn in our family of origin, these early messages, they can be so unconscious because, you know, we're learning them from childhood. And if we don't examine those concepts that we come up with around scarcity or abundance around money, then we can be ruled by those thoughts without really being aware of them. So that's actually the process that I'm examining right now through this mm -hmm. book. But I, I wanted to mention it to you because, you know, I know you and I both have some training in finance. Mine was in life and health insurance and um, the different, you know, interesting ways that you can save and grow money through insurance products. And I know that you have 
background in finance too. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit today, because I know that you have a philosophy around it. I know for me, it, my excitement was to generate wealth in circles outside of the rich white male circles around wealth. I, it was really important to me to build a multilingual, multi-gendered, multicultural team across the nation. Like I was super excited about that because I was like, this is revolutionary. We get to build wealth within uh, these communities that can really, really support generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You said you said a whole lot. Let me let me let me catch let me let me let me pick apart that really caveat. First, I love that you mentioned um through chakra being linked to ancestry because it really is bloodline. And when it comes to uh, finances, what I study is more like forex. I'm now getting into NFTs. I'm I i do not have enough knowledge to speak on that yet, but I do have enough knowledge to yeah. speak on to speak on the foreign exchange market. And literally when you're staring at that market, it just looks like it looks like energy. That's all it really is. It's all energy and business, finance, currency, money. It's spiritual. It's a very spiritual thing. You would think they weren't though, because one is extremely physical. You, you can only use money to buy physical things. That's all you can use money to do. Maybe you can buy a course or some, something like that, something that's not so physical, but the act is still being carried out in physical. And spirituality is the exact opposite, you know? And a lot of times, you know, we get people who are super successful um in the physical who are neophytes when it comes to the finance area and vice versa a lot, a lot of spiritual gurus um are flat broke and that's actually the stigma you know jesus was broke or you can't fit the rich man through the eye or whatever whatever the saying goes everyone knows it um but actually they go hand in hand and once we realize that realize and put into practice these two opposite forces they actually need each other the physical needs the spiritual and when it comes to currency uh, if you can regulate your own energy and know what your subconscious mind is driving you towards, because every single decision is made off the subconscious mind. People go to work. Most people go to work not to get rich. Most people go to work not to get broke. But the universe doesn't know, no. It doesn't know the negative. It just knows to get broke. That's all it's hearing. It's not hearing the not to. And so people are so focused on broke, um, they kind of stay broke. <laughs> it's all Real about, time. you know, yeah. We're, we're, in a, we're in a constant defense mode because reality and life is constantly bombarding us with things, bombarding us with uh, free radicals and bombarding us with wave frequencies, bombarding us with negative news, bombarding us with stigma. If you do this, then you're going to look as bad. You're, you can't be vulnerable. And so we be closed down, we contract, and we don't even allow abundance to come into us. But abundance is everywhere. There, I, I've never seen a bird complain about money because it doesn't happen. You know, they just go mm. to where the abundance is and they lavish in that. And... You know, that's one thing I'm learning for myself. And I hope to be able to teach other people that as well. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Really well said. Yeah, I love that concept of how money and spirituality and abundance and gratitude even intersect and reframing our thinking and expanding. You know, one of the things I say all the time is the most important thing we can do is every day or at least every week raise our vibration. And the concepts that you're talking about are very vibrationally high concepts. So thank mm. you. Yeah. Nice. That feels so high vibrational now. Mm. Woohoo. <laughs> Get all shined up. Mm-hmm. Uh. So I'm feeling pretty good because I just found out, um, I just confirmed that my COVID is clear. 
I took a home test two days ago that was negative. And then I just got my PCR results from yesterday, this morning, and I am in the clear. So I'm really feeling excited and high vibration about that, healing the body through that. Yes. Yay. I don't know where I do. You got, I was actually going to come get you like, okay, let me go get her some herbs or something like Aww. that. Cause a long time. We got to, we got to keep Deborah around. <laughs> She's Aww. needed. Thank you, love. I feel so excited about this life. I feel like I've worked really, really hard to love this life and appreciate this life and have gratitude for this life. And when my mom passed away, when I was in my early twenties, I mm just told this story this week, actually, that I, I went for a backpacking trip with my friend Ryan. And in that trip, I, I realized we, we actually had, it was before cell phones. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Um, and we had our phones. We had no phones. We didn't talk the whole time. And we were out there for maybe five or six days. And it was such a incredible experience to get out of the city mind thinking to get out of thinking in the normal way get out of my monkey mind and I would say mm. it took a good three days to get out of monkey mind I think we were out there for six days out in the lost coast the Mendocino coast um, backpacking and um, I just remember asking to be on this earth and I remember that uh, the story was that I was going to forget that I had asked to be on this earth and I, my spirit was very stubborn. And I was like, I'm not going to forget. I'll remember because my mission on this earth is to remind us all that we ask to be on this earth, on this planet at this time. And it's a journey and it's an adventure. And one of the things that I learned from that experience and from my mom passing away, you know, I was in my early 20s and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is not the time when you want to be facing your mortality. Like it can really shut your spirit down, you know, to face mortality at that age. When developmentally, that's the time when we should be like launching into the world, launching into our adulthood and feeling abundance and feeling all of our young power, right? Mm. And what I learned from that experience was this message that both joy and sorrow are part of life's travels and that they're, they're both part of, there's an equanimity there. They're both part of being in a body and that we there's so much that we get to experience our souls come to this earth because we want to experience being in a body simply because it's different from being a soul swimming in the one with all the other souls carefree mm -hmm. both are blissful and and so i'm trying to bring it back to what we were talking about before just what i came to is i have a lot more living to do I have a lot more life to live here and I have to beat COVID because I have so much attachment to this life right now. I love it, you know, and there's so many people here that I love and to be able to have conversations like this with you and all these other amazing people in my life is such a joy. So I want to hear a bit more about what you're up to lately. I know you just got a modeling contract. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and that happened while you were here in San Diego last time, right? Yeah, it actually happened uh, the same day 
by one um, Mr. Um, Mr. Model San Diego, literally within hours. It was interesting because I had, not interesting, but I was actually nerve-wracked. I had rehearsals from, I think, 9 to 10. And I was coming from Los Angeles, so it was like a three-hour drive. Uh-huh. 15 minutes late, so I was, I was texting the the coordinator, and everyone everyone arrived later than I did. So I was like, okay, cool, even the coordinator. So I was actually early. Um, it's funny how that works out. But the time of my interview overlapped, and I was like, okay, I gotta, I'm getting, you know, you, when, you, when you got something important, you get antsy. You know, you're getting antsy, I got to go, I got to go. So I ended up leaving. And again, I made it through the interview. I was one of the first people there too, uh, synchronistically again. Um, and the interview lasted me about 20 minutes and I ended up getting signed right on the spot. I asked, when I was leaving, I asked her, I was like, so when will I know if I'm signed? She's like, oh, you're signed right now. If you want to be on my- Oh my goodness. Hey. Congratulations. <laughs> I guess I'm signed right now. I guess I choose, I choose yes. That's amazing. Well, you're such a lovely human. Not only are you beautiful, but you're beautiful inside. And it's so easy to work with you. You know, I just, I'm so, I'm so grateful that, that they saw that immediately. Uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's so flattering. I'm, I'm going to leave this interview like, like a butterfly. I'm just going to flutter out the door and like land on some, some flowers or something. It's so <laughs> You're not the first person to say that. So that's the intention is that each person that interviews with me comes away just with a deeper joy of themselves and gets to bring that joy out into the world. I, this is a win, 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 win situation. That's my Mm. favorite kind of, kind of creation. Those are the only situations that we should ever be in. That's (laughs) that's an investment, you know, when joy is, you know, a thousand fold, that's an investment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. when it affects everyone else, everyone else positively too. And, I, you know, I realized that the better that you make yourself, it really impacts everyone in such a profound way without you even trying to. You know, we can get into this mode of trying to, especially like when you're first waking up and you're realizing the, the goods and the evils and the this and the that's. You're trying to wake people up because you're like, you're, you're jarred yourself and you're realizing people are doing things that are harming themselves or like there's, there's an agenda, there's a conspiracy, there's a this. And so you're trying to wake them up. But usually when you do that, it literally like either pushes you away from them or, you know, you end up, you know, kind of isolating yourself for some time. But even through the isolation, once you start to work on yourself and you make measurable improvement to other people's eyes, you know, they'll start to wonder, what you been up to? What you been doing? Your skin look good. Are you glowing? What you been doing? And they'll literally start to copy what you're doing, model after you. I think yeah. it's, I think it's an amazing. Yeah. I am a big believer in what you're saying about shining um, and, and living by example, teaching by example, mm-hmm. you know, when we shine, when we polish ourselves, people wonder where that shine came from and they want to learn from that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that um, if we're at all conscious, if we're at all working on ourselves, we each have something to teach each other, you know? And so that's what this is about. You know, it's about being a culture keeper. You asked me yesterday, what is a culture keeper? So yeah, it's, you get to create what that means. But to me, um, you said something earlier in the conversation about how the universe doesn't hear negative or positive. It just hears the action. It just hears the noun, you know? And so what I was doing is I've really been committed to fighting gentrification for many years. And I realized that 
if we just say the word gentrification all the time, that's what we're going to co-create. And so, right. And so I was thinking, well, what is the opposite of gentrification? It's culture. Mm. So, yeah. So culture keepers are the ones that are helping culture to thrive in whatever, whatever way that means to you. And, um, you know, there are people that talk about culture keeping in sports. That's a whole different thing. I am reclaiming that word because culture keeping is, is the antithesis of gentrification. It's culture keeping is what is the goal. That's what we're going for. So I love that. Yeah. And you know what? I I love that that you have that mindset because I don't meet too many people actually who have triangulated themselves mentally to be like, okay, wait a second. I'm fighting against this thing and the thing's just getting stronger. Why don't I just feed whatever the opposite of that is and Mm -hmm. be on that side? It's actually how you're supposed to quote unquote fight anything. And um, to answer your question, I'm not answering any of your questions at all. (laughs) That's okay. We can circle around it. I'm going to choose to answer this one. The way I see myself as a culture keeper, it's going to be a very long answer because I'm, I'm up to a lot of different things. Um, for one, uh, I'm really big into health and image for one, because uh, if you're healthy, your image is going to be good automatically. But when it comes to image, the way you fashion yourself, it really dictates how you see yourself. You know, how you, how you see yourself when you look in the mirror. If you see yourself, you know, how you, the word you like to use, regalia, some royal regalia, you know, you're not going to partake in disgraceful acts. You're not going to go to the liquor store and shoot up the, the hood. You're not going to go do all this. You're not going to do all this, this, uh, this lowly things because you don't see yourself that way. As opposed to if you're, if you're hanging with the people who see themselves as be, beneath themselves uh, lower, you're going to start dressing like them. You're going to start doing things like them. And before you know it, you know, subconsciously, you'll see yourself as, you know, a, a lowly person subconsciously maybe not consciously because we got that ego that man that ego makes us man i'm the one i'm out here i'm doing it but really subconsciously you know guess you got some ways you need to you need to correct my friend um and that's one thing i love about fashion is that there's so many ways you can you know present yourself for one to yourself but also to the world outside and you know i hate the way that you know darker skin cultures are actually portrayed when it comes to, you know, uh, the way we present ourselves, because it, it really does impact the way the world sees us, you know. Most of us have never seen a gun in our lives. I've never held a gun ever. Um, but if you watch the TV, you'll get a different picture, man. Especially if you'll see me with the locks down my mm-hmm. bag. You, you might you might think, man, this this cat right here, man, you gotta be cool, Mr. Really, then you hear me speaking, you're like, oh, okay. Oh, I like the way he dresses. Oh, okay. And I know as people even approach me differently when I'm dressed a certain way, mm. as to, you know, baggy jeans and um, whatever. Not saying that that's wrong or good. It just, it's an, it's an effect that you, you can choose to have. You know, if you're in a suit all the time, you know, you might see yourself differently than if you're in rags. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's all of the colors in between, you know, that those two extremes of, you know, baggy jeans versus a suit. You know, there's all this expression in between those two, you know, because to me, sometimes people that are in a suit are not as approachable, you know. That's true. It's like a barrier. Yeah. Another thing that I love suit, just for the people listening, I, I'm not really a suit wearing kind of, kind of person. I'm more of a creative. Um, I like to dress very creatively. Uh, you'll see that on my Instagram. I do have a couple of suits, but 
I'm more the creative type of person, more expressive. And that's one thing I do like about fashion also. It helps me express, actually helped me discover my androgyny. I just kind of like, you know, dress the way things flowed. And I don't know, I guess people liked it. I like it too, so. Mm -hmm. We all, we all love it. <laughs> yeah, so I really started the business back in 2014 because I'd, I'd been two years vegan already and I wanted to make food that was one, good, that was tasty. I, I missed my apple pies and I missed eating things that, you know, that were, that were tasty and I, I enjoyed. And I want other people to be able to enjoy it also. And so I, all the recipes I make, they're um, gluten-free, they're um, of course vegan. And one important thing about them is they don't use any, I never use white sugar because white sugar causes so many diseases. Um, yeah. For one, it, locks, it locks down white blood cells for six hours. That's what one teaspoon of white sugar does. Basically leaving you open to any kind of disease that wants to just walk through your front door of your temple, basically. And so I cut that out of, of, of all my recipes. I use, I use coconut sugar, which is low glycemic. So if you're diabetic, you can actually partake in some of it. Now, I'm not a physician, so please do not, I'm not giving you health advice, but that's what it's said to be able, you know, it's said to do. And uh, I started in 2012 and it's been going on ever since. I actually got on DoorDash a couple of days ago. So I celebrated that. That was pretty wow, cool. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. You're yeah. such a business mogul. You've just got all these pies in the air. So impressive. <laughs> I like the pie pun, actually. I like that. My, that was my first recipe, actually, was an apple pie. It's something I grew up eating. Like, this, the holiday season came. I just wasn't having any, any anything. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to make me an apple pie. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it, Chip. I'm going to make me an apple pie. <laughs> I grew up on them, too. We used to pick them from the trees. We had a couple oh. trees in our in our yard. Um, they were really old trees. And my sister and I used to pick a bunch of apples. And then my 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 mom had one of those old-fashioned, you know, you clip it on the, the table, the apple cores. Do you remember those? Where you turn yeah. you you stick the apple on the little, it's like an old-fashioned machine, but it's a hand crank, you know, and you just peel it. And we just loved that. We loved that process of cranking those apples out. Then you had this perfect cylinder core, and we would give those to the horses. Wow, wow. So you grew up, we grew need, up on need, a ranch. Yeah, I need um, I need you to take me to this ranch because I, I need that. <laughs> I need to go back to that ranch too. It's owned by an actor now. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. I haven't been I haven't been back since then. Mm -hmm. We'll get we'll get there. Yeah, that's my dream though is to have another ranch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if you need a gardener. Let me know. Oh my god. You, you, you can do anything. I'm flattered by it. I definitely can't do anything. I can do a lot of things. Just got a lot of, I used to have a lot of spare time. Um, but I, yeah, I do. I like to do things that are holistic and that'll, you know, I could pass down to my children and I could teach other people also. So I do try to do things that I, I feel are important to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you used to be um, an elementary school organic permaculture teacher. I yes. didn't know that when I met you. Can you tell me? Tell us a little bit about that. Like, how was that experience and how was the transition to your next endeavor? You know what? That's one thing that I, I always cherish being a permaculture teacher because for one, I get them out the classroom and into the garden. Like, as soon as I walk in the classroom, they're like, oh, Mr. Do it. <laughs> I'm like, let's do it. And we go out to the garden. Like, That's cute. Fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, I felt it's very important, more than important, actually essential 
that these children uh, learn something hands-on that, you know, if anything went down, like, you know, how things are going down now, there's food shortages now. And that's one thing I was actually had premonitions of. And I was like, okay, well, what would we do if they ran out of food? We'd have to learn how to grow our own food. Or we'd have to already know. So that was my mission. Um, and then we had, an, had a nonprofit. It was called Fresh Growth Gardens. Um, and we basically refurbish or build organic permaculture gardens at the school so they can go out and they can garden themselves. Um, well, we, a lot of the things that we harvested actually went to the parents. Um, went to the parents, it went to school lunches, and the kids learned basically from, from seed to, to harvest what to do, you know, how to till the soil. Actually, I didn't even till, we didn't even till the soil, actually, that's a lie. We use earthworms. We use earthworms, no pesticides. Uh, I taught them how to do a lot, a lot of things that people don't really know how to do nowadays, how to basically keep your garden self-regulating. So, you know, you don't have to spray pesticides on your peppers. You don't have to spray pesticides on your spinach. Uh, you basically, you, you, well, technically you don't, you don't spray peppers anyway. Peppers protect themselves. But you would basically grow certain things next to each other that would build a small little ecosystem. They would help each other as opposed to growing a row of the same thing over and over and over again, which is essentially a buffet to that, whatever the predator is, you know? Like for example, if you were to grow kale of just a row of kale, which a lot of gardens do, now you got aphids and aphids are everywhere. They're just having a smorgasbord because your kale's sitting duck. You don't have any of the other uh, allies or what we call companion plants that would ward, basically ward off these, this predator. So now you gotta go and rely on some, some spray, which is now sprayed on your food. You can wash it off as much as you want to. But I've seen the pictures of these guys spraying the crops. They have gas masks on, you know? They have more masks on than we do during COVID times. And mm-hmm. So what does that what does that mean when you're eating that stuff? You know, you can you can wash off all you want in the sink, but you know this stuff's being sprayed on it routinely. It's being drenched on it from from seedling to when it grows to about time when it harvested. So you know that's why you're getting these waxy apples that like you know when you touch them you, your hand feels you know slick like you just touched a wax painting or something. And, you know, I just thought how awful that is, especially with this health movement and people going vegan. It doesn't make sense to go vegan if your crops are, you know, have a coating of toxins on it. So I know I said a mouthful, (laughs) but the the kids loved it. And I I really miss the kids, actually. Um, Coincidentally, I had stopped doing it the fall time of 2019 and went into modeling January of 2020. And right then, COVID hit. Like, so it was, it was like, you know, it was very intuitive for me, actually, that that, that move happened. And I've been, you know, riding, riding the, the fashion wave ever since. And uh, not really riding it even, you know, I guess you could say I'm leading the way in some ways. And, you know, I'm really blessed to be in the space, blessed to be in the space, because I feel like we can shape mode and fashion, our own, our own um, perspective of ourselves, instead of letting people constantly pour that down our throats and pour that down our eyes and you know force that upon us because a lot of what they say about us 98 percent about it isn't really true and mm-hmm. you know that's that can be proven just from walking outside you don't need any books or any great history you can just walk outside or go to the grocery store and see that the world isn't what they tell us it is but if we keep listening to them subconsciously you know we'll brace ourselves for this scary world and we'll create this scary world in our bracingness, you know? To brace yourself is also to embrace. So I 
not into embracing any of this. <laughs> I'm more into embracing self-actualization and you know the creation of abundance and the realizing that that's all that there really is to get out of this hypnosis because I feel like humanity is in a deep hypnosis that you know haven't been out of within not in my lifetime at least we've been in hypnosis for a pretty long time and I feel like through food and presentation and fashion and you know basically the things that they use against us we can use to heal ourselves the cure is always in the in the poison you know you like 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 snake venom if you get bit by a cobra or a black widow the cure is within the same thing you just got to fight fire with fire Wow. And the way that you fight fire with fire just sounds so peaceful. It is know? peaceful. If you go if you go at this from the standpoint that they want you to, you'll end up becoming them. You'll end up becoming whatever it is that, they, that these beings, these people are. If you fight like them, you end up becoming like them. You'll get infected, basically. Now, this is on a spiritual level that manifests in the physical. You know, it's almost like if, if, you, if someone's picking on you, you end up getting into a fight, now you both get suspended from school. You know what I mean? Instead of mediating the situation in a different way. I know sometimes you got to defend yourself. All adepts know that the defense is, you can't go without it. Otherwise, you'll just be pillaged and, you know, you got these pirates coming to taking all your stuff. But to go out and do it the way that they keep showing us the way that we need to do it hasn't helped us. In fact, it's caused a lot of hardship and sadness within our own neighborhoods not even neighborhoods but cities states now countries uh it's just it's just it's like a virus that's spreading but if we could plant seeds of wholeness then you know realize that we're raw one anything's possible yes so how would you like to change the narrative like in the fashion industry for example i know from what you and i have spoken out about before it feels like representation is a really important thing but not just tokenism, not just like, oh, we're going to put more people of color in our fashion magazines. Like there's way more to it than that. Right. Oh, God. I, I mean, I'm not going to say I hate it when you do that, but it's kind of like it's just empty. You know, you gave me this you gave me this beautiful present, this box and I open it and there's nothing inside of it because nothing actually happened. that was different. And it didn't really impact one, the communities. It didn't impact the communities at all. Uh, maybe it made you feel good for a little bit, but once you go back to that job and you go back to watching the news, you know, it, it just get, it gets tsunamied over. And I'm, I'm sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> I'm, I'm going off. I'm going yeah, off. it's okay. Um, just how are you wanting to change the narrative in the fashion world? Because one thing is a lot of the people that I um, interview and work with and a lot of the people in our audience are you know musicians and they're activists and they might not be thinking about the fashion industry in kind of a social justice way that mm -hmm. we're talking about today and so my curiosity is how can you share with people how fashion can impact communities what are some concrete ways that you feel like that can happen um you know well, how how people are represented differently for one sorry to interrupt how people represent it differently within fashion um, and how do I want to impact and change that? Um, well, from doing, a, having my own productions and getting to, you know, tell a story. I feel like fashion tells a story. I don't even just feel like it does tell a story. If you go back in history to in the 1920s, the way people dress, it tells a story. You know, you know, you're looking at something that's from a different time period to now and you can, 
kind of tell like the life they lived when you look at them, you know? And even if you go back to like Vikings, you know, like their fashion isn't gonna be top hats and slacks, you know? They're living a different lifestyle. And I feel like if we can, you know, for one, have the intention of what lifestyle we wanna live and where we're where we where we are mentally and spiritually, we'll 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 come up with a lot of ways that we want to, you know, uh fashion and dress ourselves and you know kind of mold our own perception because perception becomes the reality. Reality always obeys your perception. Now the actuality may not in, right away, eventually it will because that's what we will create. But I think it's very important that we dress with intention and not just, you know, what they give us. That's what freedom, that's what free will is. Um, is to have our own intention and to be able to create that. Um, right now we have, they give us choice and they dress it up as free will. Um, and some people are cool with that. It's not good or bad. It just is what it is. But I believe that we can create something much more grander than these limited things that they put in front of us. And, you know, they keep giving us crumbs, crumbs of what we already are, which are magnificent in every single tense of the word and every, in every definition from a cellular level. And they just give us crumbs. Either they give us a complete lie or they give us a crumb of the truth. And I just think it's time for it to stop. It's time for us to stop it. Come to a screeching halt. Yeah. So just real concretely, what are some of the changes you'd like to see? What are some of the, who are some of the communities you'd like to see represented, for example? Hmm, that's a really good question. I believe the communities that are, you know, for one, middle class. I don't, I don't do the whole colorism thing because we're all, we all come from the same people, honestly. If you go back, I went back to my ancestry and I got a lot of uh, ancestors who were, you know, lighter pigment than you are. I mean, like, I'm talking desk white. I'm just like, wow, I'm over here melanated, melanated. <laughs> but I believe mostly middle class and of course, darker skinned people. But I want them to, I want, I just, I just want to be celebrated, you know, that's, that's the best way I can, I can answer that question. Because mm-hmm. I have pinpointed one community that I just want to hone in on. I'm more of a, a macro guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I know I personally have seen shifts in my lifetime in the fashion industry where um, I remember when the model body types, for example, went from real stick, stick thin, you know, um, with actually a, like kind of a leaning more of a lean on um, anorexic body types being revered in the fashion industry to you know, more curvy body types. And then I remember one of the first models that hit big as a supermodel and she was a more curvy body type. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember that being really revolutionary and she was really beautiful and really well-spoken. And um, I'm going to have to do some research because I actually just heard an interview with her, with my mentor, Isabel Tierney, uh, recently, and she continues to be really active in the fashion industry in promoting uh, larger body types, and that's that was a that was a real shift that I've seen in my lifetime. And then I also really appreciate that there are more openly LGBTQ and gender fluid models that are in the industry now. I guess to answer the question, that is one community I do really love is the gender fluid community because, you know, there's so much love in that community and there's a lot of misunderstanding in that community. Um, <clears throat> you know what? 
that's that's a beautiful thing that you said. When I whenever I go to fashion shows, it doesn't matter where I'm at. It's usually the larger models who are like you wouldn't expect to see them. Some of them light, most most of them are dark skin. Um, you know, they're crushing it. The the audience is loving them. The designers are loving mm-hmm. them. Models are loving them. I mean, they're getting a lot of um, praise. And you can I'm backstage when I'm modeling. Like when they when they when the, when the fashion shows walking, mm-hmm. I usually don't, I I don't get to see anyone else walk because I'm backstage. But I can hear the audience and they're going crazy. And I'm just like, wow, I love it. You know, I'm, I'm peeking through the little hole. Like, what's going on? What's Ooh. happening? <laughs> and they're just serving, you know? I'm just like, wow, that is, I love that right there. I feel like the community that needs to be redeemed is low-key, the a high-key people of color, people quote-unquote of color. I dislike that term. Mm. It's a legal thing. It's a, it's a whole other discussion. How the, the people who are, you know, the grassroots are usually... Um, the mom and pop shops, the um, some a lot of them are LGBTQ. Actually, I met most of my friends who are LGBTQ through fashion, and you know they're the most friendliest people in the world, and they're also the most creative people. They're usually the ones who are creating most of the styles and the um, designs you see celebrities wearing. Yeah. But it's looked, it's still in, in society looked like oh, these people are extra sexual or they're 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 devious or watch out they might molest you like you know what i'm saying it's, it's very like dirty stigma it's like wow why would you think that this person would do that if they've never showed signs this before and something i really dislike also uh, haven't come up with it with a foolproof way how i'm a, uh, i guess quote unquote attack this but it is something that i noticed um throughout my own travels in the fashion industry yeah thank you for speaking to that because i I think it's so important that we continue to break those negative stereotypes about sexualizing people based on gender or orientation. And, um, and, and there's like this, there's almost this, it's it's not, it's it's unspoken, but it's like this kind of like hitting together, like two bulls hitting each other of like straight and gay or like stud or like there's, there's these different labels that are like, Oh, is if I go to this party, there's straight people. I don't really want to go to the party. Or there's gay people. Even I don't want to do that. Uh, it's, 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 I don't know. I just don't like it. It's something that just it bothers me, especially since I have friends on both sides and I love them both equally. So mm-hmm. it's something that it's actually one of the reasons why I named myself King with a Q because you know I feel like both masculine and feminine sides are expressing me very strong, very strongly uh, from from doing like the landscape your lawn, and I can also put on um, a blouse very, very well. And yeah. people, people really need to know that that's okay. That's really okay. And you don't want to polarize yourself on any side. You want to be able to be like water, as Bruce Lee would say, in different situations. Because you really do. Even if you're a cis, hetero, all-American, steak-eating, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> red male, you know, even if you're with a woman, sometimes you have to be this feminine, be submissive, because she has to express also. You yeah. can't just keep, and that's one thing that's, I'm sure you, you've experienced this, you know, where it's like, you're not being heard because this other person wants to be so domineering. It doesn't want to just like take a seat back and let you take the front seat. And like, hey, I have an idea. Or, hey, we can do this thing better. Or, hey, you know, something bothered me, you know? And a, a lot of women go through this. A lot of women actually become my good friends because they realize that uh, they can sense I'm not like that. A lot of men get mad at me. I don't care. (laughs) Well, one of the things that I have noticed about you in the time I've known you is that 
if I may put words in, in to what I, how I experience you is that I get this really strong sense that you're allergic to being pigeonholed and boxed in, you oh, know, God. and there's something so beautiful about your flexibility and your creativity and your expression. And I can really identify with certain aspects of that as, uh, as female born and being raised by my single father, who was a feminist, he raised us to basically be humanists, you know, and I just remember feeling so boxed in by the gender scripts and the gender roles that I was given. And I was always so excited to see mentors in my life who were expressing the full gamut of gender and being more fluid. And like, I think of some of my role models growing up were um, Grace Slick and Annie Lennox and the great David Bowie. I mean, and Michael Jackson, you know, all these incredible artists who really allowed me to expand beyond what I was seeing in my little hometown of how gender could be expressed. And so I get really excited talking to you about fashion because my sense in talking to you is that, you know, there's a real revolution of highlighting these different forms of gender expression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's It's funny that it is exciting. It's very exciting. What I feel like our task is, or what our, what our task is, is to not let these people hijack it. Because there's definitely, there's a, there's a revival coming. You can, you can feel it in the air. There's a rebirth that's supposed to happen, a regeneration that's supposed to happen. Otherwise, you know, we might not have uh, three more, we might not have another generation if we don't really, you know, take this thing the way that it's supposed to be taken and not let these people, you know, hijack it and present it back to us in some distorted way, because that's what they usually do. Um, and I, I love that you said that you grew up in a way where, you know, there was more gender fluidity and more of a, a, a wider range of uh, expression from both genders. That's beautiful. I'm actually a little, I'm a little jealous, you know, I, I kind of want to mm. go back and switch places with you a little bit, you know? <laughs> well, we all have our stories. I'm just focusing on some of the, the positive things. But um, I also was raised in a family where there were a lot of family members who were out and they were um, expressing, you know, their relationships with their partners. And, you know, I grew up an hour north of San Francisco where my father would take us to gay pride parade and the dyke march and the dykes on bikes and all of that. Yeah. So I feel really, really grateful to have those exposures um, and those experiences. And, you know, I have a lot of friends that are all over the gamut, you know, and um, that being said, there's always more work that we can do in supporting each other and representation and just highlighting and inspiring full expression. Right. You know, that's interesting that you said that you were exposed to that early and the quote unquote black community. Uh, we definitely, I know me myself, that's definitely not something that we were exposed to or even knew existed. I didn't know a proper existed until I was like, man, it was literally like, like two three years ago. I was like, what? What is that? Pride of what? What do these colors mean? You know, like it, is something, it wasn't something that was ever talked about at all. In fact, if you were even caught doing anything that looked remotely gay, you're pretty much ridiculed, shamed, possibly ostracized 
within your family, friend group, community. And I experienced a lot of that growing up, you know, and um, <clears throat> something I had to heal from myself, which I feel like, you know, the black community definitely needs to embrace that midgard between gender because even in ancient times, there are more than two genders. Two genders is something that's pretty new, actually. If you go to the Native Americans, uh, if you go to Aztecs, even 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 back to um, ancient like China, you know, they released like four genders, and gender didn't denote sex. There were two different things. Of course, there's two sexes. You only have two different parts. You know, we don't have a whole variety of those, unless you're um, hermaphrodite. Then that's a different thing, different discussion. But there was um. I believe it's called Burdash. Um, there's a, yes. there's a, there's a, in the Salagi Cherokee tradition, Burdash, yeah. Right, right. Um, and, and basically then, what these Midgard like genders role was, was to basically be um, an intermediary between both worlds, the masculine and the feminine, you know, be that middle point because both those two don't really understand each other. Someone who's extremely masculine doesn't understand feminine. Femininity doesn't really understand masculinity very well. Um, and this this is general. This is general. I'm not speaking for every single person. And also, they were guides when it came to spirituality, because that that was the world in between. And many of the shamans were the healers. Those those were the healers of the community. And if you look around, there's not many healers. There's not many healers who are actually you know doing the the work and the tutelage and actually being able to be a voice of reason. They're they're pretty much either people who are supposed to be that. You know, they they've either been coerced to choose a side and polarize themselves and deny themselves, which causes a whole other thing of self-hate, which is why suicide rates are pretty high. Um, but it also just causes, you know, you know, our communities to not have the, the peace bringers, the ones who actually bring the wholeness and who are actually able to give guidance to the youth, the elders. We're just, you know, we're kind of in a state of chaos where, you know, and we're in, a, we're in a state of reaction. You know, anything that, that, that is told to us, we're going to react and we're going to be, we're going we're gonna to fight. You know, we're going to fight this. We're going to fight that. We're going to go to war against this, go to war against that. And there's no one sitting us down and be like, hey, no, no, no. Let's actually pull back and let these, these people, entities that are going to war, let them go to war and destroy themselves. That's, that's basically what they're, what they're going to do. But they want to pull, they want to pull the people into it also. And, you know, I feel like me, myself, as one person, I'm here to basically say, no, that's not what we're here to do. And I hope other people will step up also. I know there's other people out there, but I'm hoping they'll step up and, you know, use their talents and use their shine to shine light and take us out of this tailspin that we're in right now. I'm optimistic. <laughs> that's beautifully really said. Yeah. And I, it's such a great point that we can promote our leaders, you know, and wise people in our communities, you know, and there's so many opportunities to do that. We have elders in our community that have lived full lives that can be celebrated. And we have people in the LGBTQ plus community who can be celebrated. And there's so many different opportunities to support people in developing their wisdom and listening to them. And one of the things that I learned just last year in 2021 is that in my heritage and my Celtic heritage, in the Druidic lineage, there were three lines of wise people in the Druid tradition. And they were Druids, 
and they were bards and they were ovates and and the the druids were the ones who were leaders of civic duties like um holding counsel and helping to make decisions and and judge things like that and then there were the the bards who many of us have heard of as the keepers of the songs and poems Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I always held a deep respect for the griots of Africa, who also were multi-generational keepers of the oral traditions through drumming and percussion and memorizing lineages of family generational stories through song and poetry. And I have met many griots in my life as a musician, and they're so incredible at remembering people and remembering their names. I mean, I I remember one griot in particular, I hadn't seen him in 10 years and he goes, oh, Deborah, how are you? And I was just blown away that he remembered my name, but that's his, his intelligence, his, uh, his lineage of understanding is such an incredible oral tradition. And then there's the ovates, the ovates in the Druidic tradition were like the shamans. And like you were saying about the Burdash and the many other communities around the world who are multi-gendered individuals. Um, I'm not saying the ovates were necessarily that way, but the similarity is that they also were the keepers of the information they were bridge people. They bridged, you know, between the other worlds and um, they were the keepers of passages of uh, time between like birth and death and helped with ceremonies and helped with um, the keepers of the bones. And they were the ones that had the plant medicine information. And so, and they were also very psychic. And so all of these types of knowledge It was so validating to learn about the ovates in my tradition, because for as long as I can remember, I've had this information innately in my body. Mm. And it was, and it was the first time in my life that I felt a deep physical understanding of information that came from my heritage in a way Mm. that I had always felt a longing for when I would watch people in African-American traditions that had any knowledge or uh, people from uh, many other traditions around the world that had innate knowledge. And there's a couple things I want to say here about this. And, and, and one of them is we all have an opportunity. What you said really, really sparked this reminder is that we each have an opportunity to go back into our lineage and to go back into our heritage and look at what are the ways that wise people were expressed in our cultures? Mm. Where was wisdom passed down in our cultures? Storyteller. Yeah. And so what I'm circling back to what you were talking about earlier in the conversation is you were talking about how fashion is an opportunity to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful that we're bring, weaving in all of these parts, you know, with the, the multi-gender and the uh, different lineage of wisdom and how we get to tell a story in our art forms. Mm-hmm. We get it's to also- take on that wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's telling history too. Yeah. 
reclaiming. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This has been an awesome interview. Ah, <laughs> Very powerful. Thank you. thank you for bringing this in. You call you called me on this. Thank you. <laughs> well, I knew that we were going to have an amazing conversation. I didn't know quite how it would go, but that's the magic. I always have an idea of what I want to talk about. But to be able to watch the alchemy unfold like this is really beautiful. I like that term, the alchemy unfold. That sounds like an album. If I come up with an album that's named that, I'll give you credit. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, I would love to talk about your music. Oh, yeah. I just released my first single in like years called um, Currency. And the, way I, the best way I can describe my music is conscious dance music. That's the best way I can describe it. Because my, my bars, I'm talking about a lot of conscious stuff. But it's very, it's very fun. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's comical. Uh, it's very witty. It's a lot of punchlines. And, you know, the beat is, you can't really not dance to it unless you're just one of those people. I don't, I don't I haven't met the person yet. But, <laughs> yeah, that's the best way I can describe it. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Um, I remember there was the time you sang a Lauren Hill B-side tune that just blew me away. And I knew from that day forward, I was like, this person has something special. You know, uh, your runs and your vibrato and your just clear, bright, beautiful intention that comes through, your spirit comes through in your voice. So thank you. I'm like excited. I'm excited to hear this uh, single, Currency. Yes, I don't actually don't. I don't sing on this one. I'm more. I'm more poetic on this one. Um, when I do have a, um, do my singing, I, I might need you to be in the studio with me. I need. I need. I need you there. <laughs> I would be I'm, honored. I'm like, so serious. I'm so serious right now. <sighs> yeah, I would be honored, and it's one of my favorite things to do is to be present in the studio. You know, when people go in to record with their ready to express because I'm all about um, inspiring the highest expression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually, I learned a lot from you um, back when we were training. Uh, I still use a lot of the techniques now, like especially when I'm doing my falsetto, I'm like, okay, lift the, lift the palette, there it is. Lift that soft palette. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so Dejan came to me uh, right before the quarantine started. And mm -hmm. um, I was really honored that you wanted to work with me in developing your voice. And it was so easy to do because you have such an incredibly beautiful voice and such a powerful instrument. And your whole being is your instrument. So thank you for blessing me with your voice, for sharing, sharing that with me. And, you know, you just took off so quickly you know we didn't need to work together long you just you already had it it was literally like three maybe three different lessons we did mm. after that I mean you're a really good teacher too I don't I don't want to take all the credit I'm trying to keep the ego down so like <laughs> <laughs> you, you just be confident shine it's all good we can all <laughs> shine we can all shine together that's right that's the goal we, can all, we shine together <laughs> Back in 2012, I was studying law and etymology very heavily. I was going through my own awakening, which is, I feel like, I feel like everyone was hit during 2012. You weren't hit during 2012, you're getting hit now. And, you know, I started learning like words didn't mean what I thought they meant. You know, I thought black was just like, it was either a color, like a construction paper or like 
black people. But even in elementary school, you know you're not black. Like I'm sure a lot of us melanin people were like, well, I'm not really black, I'm more brown. You know, we take it very literal. But really in law, it's that literal. And color means to pretend, to pretend to be a person, um, like a person, corporation, fictitious, civilist. It also means civilist mortis, which means mortis is dead. Civilist is law. So dead in the eyes of the law. And that's one of the reasons why a, a police officer can kill um, a quote unquote black person and usually get a slap on the wrist. Maybe they get suspended. They'll probably get paid while they're suspended. They're, get, they're basically getting sent on vacation is because in by law, that person is dead already. So they didn't really, by law, they didn't actually kill anybody. And in, in actuality, we know that that person's being born. We know that person's family's hurting. We, we, we know people who are what we would call good people, but law is very devious. And it's, it's, um, it's like that double forked tongue. You know, I said something, but I also said something else. And it's, if you go along with this thing I said, it also comes with this back thing that you don't really know. It's that hidden hand mentality thing. And I feel like if we learn that these are spells, back to what we were talking about earlier, that these words have power, then it will help us get free, help us get sovereign really rapidly. Because I, I notice when I don't call myself Black, I, to even other people, it's like, oh, they kind of step back. It's like, hmm, yeah, I'm actually Indigenous for this, this, and that. Or I'm actually Choctaw, Native American. Or I'm actually, um, even the word African-American is a, is a, is a, is a pretend word. Um, I'm actually Sudanese. I'm actually... Cherokee, I'm actually Irish, you know, I'm actually these mixtures of things instead of, you know, which were actual nationalities. A nationality is tied to a nation. Nations have laws. There is no such thing as a black flag because it's not a nation. There is no such thing as a white flag unless you're surrendering. <laughs> I surrender. It's not a nation. But even the term white means something in law too, because white is quote unquote devoid of color is what they say. I say clear is devoid of color. But um, back on the topic, um, it means to be free. It means all these different things that we're not really privy to, which we need to be privy to. I love what you're saying. So I've been taking weekly COVID tests and mm -hmm. you have to fill out a form and it says black, white, Hispanic, non-Hispanic, other. Those are your options. I'm and totally rolling right now. Oh God. So, so the, over the last several months, I've started to put other every single mm -hmm. time. I mean, I've been putting other for years because I really appreciate what you're saying because I don't prefer to identify as white. And I just mm -hmm. need to unpack this a little bit because I really appreciate what you're saying because I understand the optics that I am lighter skinned. I do understand the optics that in the eyes of most people, I'm considered white. But similarly to what you're saying, I just don't identify with that because it's not that I want to deny all the negative connotations. I just don't want to identify myself with that. And it's because it's limiting. Like you said, you know, you were mentioning all of the different aspects of your background and your, your family culture and your family history and your multiple nationalities. And similarly for me, when I identify as white, I'm whitewashing myself. I'm taking all of the culture away from me. And it wasn't until last year, like I said to you earlier, that I really fully started to learn about my Celtic heritage. And mm. it's because 
I always identified as white. It didn't occur to me until several years ago to start looking more deeply into my heritage and to understand as an American that I have an immigration story as well. And I think a lot of people that grow up quote unquote white just automatically assume that they're Americans because they're the only people in this nation that don't have a word in and a hyphen in front of American. They're not mm. called white slash Americans, the way that mm. people are called Chinese American, African American, etc. So to understand more about each of our heritage is just so it's so important because I truly believe that a lot of problems would be resolved or decreased if we were to understand that we each have an immigration story, at least coming here to the United States. Absolutely. And this is is a global podcast. So I want to be sure that I am also including other nations, but here we are in America talking about these issues from our perspective. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I I love that. You know, I haven't actually, you're the first um, quote unquote white person I've met actually like sees it from that way. Like, well, when I call myself white, I'm basically disconnecting myself from my actual like bloodline. I never heard anyone dresses that way. So yay, kudos to you. You're dope. (laughs) This is from, you know, my teachers though. And growing up in a family, half of my family is Jewish American growing. And my dad was adopted into a Jewish family. So I'm not Jewish by race or by by heritage, by bloodline, but, but I am by culture. Um, but growing up in a Jewish family and a family that very strongly identifies as allies in the social justice movement on multiple levels, I feel like I was exposed to a lot of thoughts around identity and around race and around gender and around orientation from an early age. And so it's from the social justice movement from all of those incredible leaders and teachers that I was able to draw those conclusions about my heritage as well. So you talking about this is really inspiring to me because I don't get to talk about this as much as I'd like with people. And I think that these are really compelling things for European Americans to talk about. You know, I identify as Celtic American. At first I was identifying as European American, but that is such a broad continent, you know? Yeah, continent. Yeah. I love what you said about, you know, black is not a nation. White is not a nation. You know, we don't have a black flag. We don't have a white flag unless you're surrendering. There's some, there's, there's some deep metaphors in there. It's true. We don't have, we'll probably never have either. Cause it's not, there's no, that, that's why there's no unity because there's no nation. If there's no nation, there's no unity. It's like, even if we look at it from like a, a micro standpoint, you're playing basketball. There's no teams. Everyone's just free for all shooting. Of course, there's not going to be any unity. Of course, there's not going to be any scorekeepers or record keepers. You're just playing 21 and shooting around, you know? And the one winner who wins, wins. And that's usually the person who is like, oh, that person's a star, but no one else really, there's no pass downage. As opposed to organized basketball, there's teams. There's teams, there's colors, there's where you dress. 
there's the banner, there's the flag, there's the logo, there's things that identify this team. There's, there's landmarks, there's the, 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 where the city is, where the state is, uh, the, the team's record, there's record keepers, there's all these things. And this is just from a micro standpoint, something as simple as basketball or soccer. So if we, if we look at it from a, a macro and we don't have those, 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 those things that are being kept record of, of course, there's going to be you know, no unity and a lot of just individualism and people are kind of cut off from each other, cut off from nature, cut off from their bloodline, cut off from their neighbors. Just, just, ugh, ugh. <laughs> I, can go, I can go on for a long time about this. I really mm-hmm. could. I love how you said um, that you said something that was really cool, uh, for lack of better words. You said there's that white Americans are the only ones that don't have a hyphen next to their name. Like there's African hyphen American, there's Jewish hyphen American. That's actually by design. It's a, it's um, yeah, it's a conscious thing that's being done. Hundred percent agree. You you spoke early in the conversation about how words are so important. Words entrance us, and yeah. I think one of the most important parts about decolonizing ourselves is to decolonize our thinking by examining the words that we use every day. Right, the, the mind is the only space, and this, this is law, this is law, so this is sovereign law. Um, the mind is the only space that's actually free, and it's sovereign. And the biggest real estate grab that there ever will be, even more than the metaverse, is the real estate in your mind. If they have real estate in your mind, they basically, they own you at that point. It's, it's so important to steal your mind and to also steal your mind. Pretty much the same word, back. Uh, I don't know why I brought that up. <laughs> I just still, feel like I need- still the mind and steal the mind. Yeah. I've started a meditation practice last year after so many people in my life recommended it mm-hmm. for the majority of my adult life. And turns out that shit actually works. Yeah. You know, still, still the mind, boy, do we get to examine our thinking and our thoughts and boy, do we get to, <sighs> reevaluate everything that goes through the mind and choose new thoughts and up level our our abundance mm-hmm. exactly because once we take that back i mean it's the, the, the sky is only a barrier at that point it's not even the limit anymore it's just a threshold and this actually brings me to um, something i'm starting um, i'm starting a um a small school um, it's gonna be mostly online um also if you're in sacramento you can come to it also called um, Sovereign Hearts. And I'm basically gonna be teaching a lot of them, a lot of what sovereignty is, and also a lot of breathing exercises and meditation and diet, which will help one, energize you, because it's, it's all about energizing, it's all about building yourself up so that you'll be able to attract the resources and attract the people that are gonna help you gain your liberation, your sovereignty back. And it's, it's something that's, re- it's in the works, I'm not gonna announce the date just yet because I want it to be fully complete, but I feel like it's something that'll help us tremendously and i'm really excited about that that's beautiful i've been hearing the term sovereign so much over the last several months and some of my favorite thinkers some of the most forward-thinking abundant expansive people have been using that word and i was curious if you could say a little more about that before we end today um yeah so the term sovereign sovereign meaning to um savior and reign, meaning to reign, protect, teach, guard the realm. And um, yeah, that's, that's basically what it means in ancient times. And when I, mean, when I say savior, I mean to save yourself. You're your own savior. We're like, you know, it's not something that, I, I love that it's coming up 
in a lot of discussions, kind of a buzzword, but I want to make it clear that it's not something that you can even go to a class and get a certificate for. It's something that you, you it's a lifestyle, something that you earn and you put in the tillage for this and you're basically becoming a leader. And by definition, by law, a sovereign is higher than a king. Sovereigns higher than any anything in, in that they have in these legalities. By law, it is. And it's some it's something that you know needs to be retaught again and brought into everyday life because once we gain that back, we gain back our world and ourselves. Yeah. I was I had to look up the definition and my favorite one I'm finding here is sovereign means that they have power over themselves. Their government yes. is under their own control. Mm-hmm. Self-governing. Mm-hmm. There's empowerment there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about sovereignty. Uh, autonomous, free, and independent. Mm-hmm. Sovereign stresses the absence of a superior power and implies supremacy within a thing's own domain or sphere. That's right. Yeah. What a beautiful way to end the conversation. Thank you yep. so much. Absolutely. That's a good way to segue into whenever, whenever we do our next interview too, because it's, it's going to go really deep. I can feel it. So grateful for this conversation <laughs> together today. Thank you. Thank so, you. Dejan, any other last minute things you'd like to say? The destination and where we are at now is love. And once we realize that and fully accept that, you know, we can move forward into something far greater than we've ever realized before. And it'll be a place where we'll be safe and know that we can raise our children to grow to their fullest potential. And it'll be something that's very divine uh, for us all. I want us all to digest that and digest the idea of sovereignty because that is really what's going to free us from even these, these underworlds and these principalities, which they say we're going to war against, are lower than the term sovereign. And I want us to fully digest that and to know in our hearts who we are and that we're much more than what we've ever been told before. Times, times infinity and wholeness. Thank you. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Thank you.